Hello and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by the Sunday Mail's Scott McDermott. On Record Rangers, it's chaos at Hamden as Kenny Miller and Lee Wallace look to be in serious trouble in the aftermath of an old firm route. And we review the Rangers' tactics, performances and the future of boss Graham Murty after Sunday's humiliating defeat. Scott, it's hard to know where to start. There's so much to discuss. This could be a four-hour epic (laughs) podcast, war and peace of podcast. But let's start, first of all, with the big story that's taken up a lot of the traction in terms of debate this morning on social media, which is that of uh, Kenny Miller and Lee Wallace. Before we go into the specifics of that, let's just look at the timeline of events as we know them. Full-time whistle blows... There's an argument that kicks off between Morelos and Doherty that's been going on maybe 10 or 15 seconds prior. What happens from that point on as you understand it? Well, as I understand it, Morelos and and Doherty clearly continue that argument getting into the tunnel. Um, Looking at the two of them on the pitch, it's not a surprise that it continued into the tunnel and into the dressing room. After a defeat like that, you would expect... (laughs) You'd expect it to be a few more arguments uh, heading off the, the park. But, I mean, you're saying that that's the kind of starting point. I mean, if you, I think you actually need to go further back in the day when you know, you've got Andy Halliday obviously venting his anger on the bench after being substituted. You've got Kandias clearly... Have we got any? Sorry, just, just on that, have we got any clarity on who he was directing that ire towards? Was it a fan or...? It's, no, it certainly wasn't, wasn't a fan. I mean, a fan approached the dugout after Halliday had had his kind of rant um, and you know, it looked to me like that was aimed towards either members of the coaching staff or other players who were, were sitting in the, the front two rows of the, of the bench at Hamden. Um, so you had the Halliday incident, then you've got Candias clearly mouthing off, it looked directly towards his manager um, as he was substituted and of course he goes straight up the straight up the tunnel in a, in a huff so this whole thing had been building um, from very early on in the game um, no, it's probably a big statement but, but to me Johnny those wee incidents and then the, the Morelos and Doherty thing followed on by you know, what we're now hearing about Lee Wallace and Kenny Miller it, it it's clear to me that players in the week's build-up to that old firm game weren't happy, either weren't happy or didn't understand what the strategy was, what the tactics were, what the approach was, what the game plan was to go in and try and beat Celtic. And I think that manifested itself pretty early on, on the pitch, and has developed further when they've got off the pitch. So the story as it stands this morning is that Kenny Miller is going to have his contract paid up. Presumably he's going to get the old Ali McCoy's treatment put on gardening leave. It'll get paid as normal, but he won't be expected to attend uh, training. Well, well, he's only got two and a half months left, so I mean it shouldn't be a uh, shouldn't be a kind of drawn out affair. No, if they want to terminate Kenny Miller's contract, I'm sure that can be done uh, pretty easily. And the story is also that Lee Wallace, the club captain. Um, is going to be suspended as the club investigate further into the events following the game. It seems to me that they've had their say in the dressing room and that it's not been something that uh, Graham Murty's been wanting to hear. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't know the, the exact facts here, but you know, from the outside looking in, 
it seems that Kenny Miller and Lee Wallace, two guys who have been at the club for a long time, uh, who are aware of the the standards you know, that, that, that are demanded of you at Rangers. It sounds as if they've gone in after that game and uh, you know, made their feelings known in the dressing room. Now, whether that was directed at Graham Murty, the coaching staff or other players, it doesn't really matter. After a 4-0 defeat to Celtic, there'd be something seriously wrong if senior players weren't having their say in the dressing room. Now, we don't know how uh, vociferous that their, uh, you know, their fury was, if you like, after after the game. But clearly, whether it's Graham Murty, Mark Allen or the board, um, they've deemed it serious enough, um, or no, they've clearly thought it was it was out of order the way Miller and Wallace have, have gone about it. And as we believe this morning, no, both players are now going to be suspended in, in some shape or form. Kenny Miller's one that splits the Rangers fans because of his spell at Celtic. Obviously, the situation with Pedro Cascina probably wouldn't have helped that. But Lee Wallace is a guy who sacrificed his own career to come down at the peak of that career to play in the third division with Rangers and bring them all the way back to where they are today um, in in the Premiership. Surely that's going to be a difficult one for fans to swallow. The, the club captain, a guy that's demonstrated his commitment to the club, that's not just an easy um, an easy guy to throw into the fire, as it were. So. No, and he's also got a year left in his, his contract. I mean, I don't know Lee Wallace personally. I've interviewed him many times. He's a, as well as being an experienced player and captain of Rangers, he also... Wants to be a manager himself. One day he's already taking the first steps into that. He's always a very respectful guy uh, with high standards uh, that he set himself. I would be amazed if Lee Wallace has somehow deliberately, you no, know, undermined or abused Graham Murty in front of other players uh, or staff. I mean, I don't doubt for a second that he would want to have his say. I don't doubt that he would be absolutely furious at the performance of Rangers on Sunday. He might even be furious at the way Graham Murty set his team up or some of the decisions that he made during the game. You also have to... You know, Andy Hallid, eh, Kenny Miller and Lee Wallace um, are very close to Andy Halliday, so you've got that instant you know, was part of their... Uh, kind of anger after the game uh, about the Halliday incident about coming off no, being pulled off four minutes before half time has there been a situation in the dressing room afterwards where they've thought it was necessary to go and stick up for for Halliday going in against Murty we don't know but it just seems like no, that clearly that this is a board that if you're going to suspend two players it's a board decision um, but from the outside looking in it seems very rash in the kind of heat of the moment aftermath of an old firm game when it looks like two experienced players have just had their say in the dressing room, no matter how strong it might have been. Um, it seems uh, it seems very rash, um, if this is true, that, that both players are going to be going to be suspended immediately. The fans' fury, Scott, um, has been palpable. If you listen to any of the Rangers fans' podcasts that are out there or just look at social media, I don't think I've ever seen the Rangers' support in my 30 years of observing them so apoplectic with rage at one result. And probably justifiably, because it was a poverty-stricken performance, wasn't it? Yeah. Now, 
we've seen the fans padlocking the gates of Murray Park with a We Deserve Better banner, a sort of throwback to the, the yeah. early noughties with David Murray. How bad could this get for the Rangers board if this was to continue with, say, another defeat against Hearts and no further movement on Murty's situation or on the plan for the club going forward? I think it's reaching breaking point now, Johnny. Um, that result was momentous on Sunday for a you know, for a whole number of reasons. And you know, you're talking about Sunday's result against Hearts. I think that's pretty irrelevant now. I mean, I know there's there's money at stake in the uh, no Europa places. Of course, Rangers need to be in the the Europa League next season. But I think immediately the result against Hearts doesn't really matter, I don't think, I mean, listen, if they go and beat Hearts 2-0, it's not going to change fans' <laughs> views, I mean, you're right, apoplectic is the is the word, 10 games now against Celtic without a, without a win. And that, that's a point, Scott, isn't it, because even in the dark days for Celtic of the the 90s, where Rangers had Gascoigne and Loudrup and McCoy and Hately, you just... Ream the names off. Yeah. Celtic weren't getting dominated no. in old firm fixtures like no. this. I remember Celtic victories at Ibrox yeah, during they, that time. Yeah, they won, they won a few. We've, we've spoken about this before. I mean, during Celtic's worst worst ever period, they actually still, um, no, in a lot of games, kind of produced in old firm games and got got results. Ultimately, results that didn't really matter in terms of the in terms of titles that Rangers were winning at the time. But you're right. I don't think. The only, the only game I can remember, Johnny, um, was a game at Parkhead uh, when Rangers won 4 2. In the New Year. Yeah. yeah. When, when you even let John Brown score a volley. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that game. It was Mikhailachenko got a double. Right. Yeah. Hately and Kuznet, Oleg Kuznetsov, I think, scored. That was the day that the Celtic fan ran on and attacked Ali Maxwell in the Rangers' goal. It was the day Celtic fans were throwing things at the director's box. Um, and fury at, at the way they were running the running the club, but in terms of sheer humiliation, no, that was that, that that's the only one I can remember where no, if you flip it, no, you think a Sunday when Rangers fans, no, they were embarrassed on Sunday. You, you've got Celtic fans effectively laughing at how how bad they are. You've got Celtic fans, no, singing the names of of Rangers players. Um, during a four 0 victory that let's be honest could have been quite easily uh, five six seven. Um it was it was sheer humiliation on Sunday and, and you're right, even during Celtic's dark days, I don't remember too many too many moments like that. And of course it comes just as Rangers announce season tickets for next year. I mean, it's a PR cluster bomb, isn't it? Yeah. I mean listen, it's over to the board now. <laughs> I think we can safely say Graham Murty won't be the Rangers manager next season. So you're right, it's it's season ticket renewal time. Uh, Dave King or the board, you know, Stuart Robertson, Mark Allen, whoever, someone now has to come forward and somehow uh, try and appease these these supporters, um, which isn't, isn't going to be easy. And that's why I'm saying it's now at breaking point. The fans... I've had enough. I mean that this board have been. We keep talking about this board as if it's a new board. They've been there three years. I think it's safe to say they're no. The team uh, is no closer to Celtic. Certainly on the part, they might argue off the pitch. There's been infrastructure put in place and 
things that you don't you don't see. But three years in, they're no closer. Uh, they're no closer to Celtic. There's now Johnny. Scott, Le- I think they are a little bit right. I just I just want to disagree with you slightly there, and I think it's easy for for us to look at that performance, and it was dreadful. But if you look back to the the Warburton era when Warburton left, and you look at the squad now, for me, if you get a manager in there who has got a bit about him. If you get a Brendan Rodgers type in there, I think there's definitely stuff that they, that a manager could do with the likes of Tavernier, Murphy, uh, Doherty, uh, Morelos, Candias. There, there are good players. Yeah, in they there. could. A proper, a proper manager could get them closer. But but as we're standing here just now, they are no closer. No, the, the way the Rangers players are performing at the minute. Yeah. The way the three managers that have been in since the the board came in. Have performed that that they're no closer, um, and I mean you go right back to and certainly there's not been an improvement in old firm performances no. judged by no, like, the game on Sunday. And yeah. also, as I said, the board have been in there three years now. Nobody can decry Dave King, Paul Murray, and others who you know for coming in and rescuing the club. If you like, you no, know, that was a you no know, after what had gone on before. That was a huge uh, a huge moment for the club. But when do you start? Judging them properly, as I say, we've, we've they've been in three years now. We we're sitting here now. We still, no, without what to heart back. We still don't really know how the Mark what the Mark Warburton reign ended. Was he sacked? Did he leave? Who knows? Um, we then had the Pedro Cachinha absolute disaster of of an appointment, and all the money that was squandered as as part of that appointment. Um, we, had the, we then had the farce of, of trying to get a manager post Cachinha, putting all the eggs in one basket to go and get go and get Derek McInnes, only for him to look under the bonnet of the club and decide all was not well, which, by the way, at the moment, no, would seem to be the... No, Derek McInnes might have a, might have a point. Um, and now we've got this... Uh, no, falling on for the McInnes rejection. The board, I think, clearly... You can say now made the wrong decision by giving Graham Murty the job until the end of the season. I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but they've effectively written off this season, handed Celtic seven in a row on a plate by appointing under twenties manager uh, as as first team coach until the end of the season because they were incapable. Clearly, at that time, uh, if they weren't getting McInnes. They were incapable of going and getting a going and getting another manager. So, in the three years that they've been in, you can now sit here and say there's been a series of uh, a series of mistakes, errors, no disasters, if you like, on the, the kind of managerial front. No, no, no leadership uh, from the top, and that's all manifested itself now. And of course, listen. People are emotional. It's it's raw. It's always raw after a, a an old firm defeat, especially one uh, in that manner. But but listen, that's that's the old firm. That's that's Glasgow, and no, that's that's the way it is here. Well, we'll touch on the manner of the defeat now. Have a little look at the tactics. We had a bit of uh, WhatsApp conversation prior to the game, and I think my line to you was, "It's a big day for Andy Halliday." <laughs> And it certainly turned out that it was, but perhaps for all the wrong reasons. Let's just look at the, the midfield more generally, the setup of the midfield for the game. You had Halliday on the left side, Doherty on the right side, and Doran's in the middle. Now, initially when we looked at it, 
you thought Doc, um, uh, Dorans was going to be perhaps a sort of central defensive midfielder, but actually he sort of played as a flat three with the two wingers inverted and in front. Yeah. And it was clear what he was trying to do was try to block up the midfield, but within 10 minutes, you're looking at it and you're saying, Halliday and Dorans in particular do not look like they have a clue what they're being asked to do. And I think you talked about it earlier when you said, or you mentioned it to me earlier, you thought um, Halliday was playing in a sort of left half role, which is yeah. an old-fashioned yeah, yeah. position. It was it was bizarre to watch Halliday and, and Dorans, wasn't it? Because they're two, especially Dorans is a good player, and Halliday's yeah. proven that he can play at a decent level as well. And yeah. They weren't at the races at all. No, I need to hold my hands up, Johnny, in terms of before the game... No, I thought Rangers needed a three-man midfield. I think we, we all yeah, did. Right, so that's the first thing. I wasn't uh, too surprised. I know people were talking about his lack of games and stuff, but I wasn't that surprised to see Andy Halliday in there. I know he, he only had a good half hour against Dundee the previous week. I thought he did enough that day at Ibrox coming on that it might just plant a seed in Graham Murty's head to use him against Celtic. So I don't blame Murty for putting Halliday in there. I know people talk about Holt, Jason Holt or Sean Goss. Or I don't blame him for putting Halliday in there. But the shape of that midfield three was utterly bizarre to me. And I'm not a, a tactics expert, but you know, I've watched enough football to know that you know, a rigid, flat midfield three against a Celtic team that's renowned for its fluidity in, in that area of the pitch was just odd to watch and I agree with you I don't think Dorans or Halliday particularly knew what they were doing I don't I don't think Greg Doherty knew really what he was what he was supposed to do either Dorans was used as the more defensive central midfielder which just isn't isn't his game at all the three of them sat in a, in a flat midfield three basically not wanting to go forward and engage Scott Brown who was again dictating the, the tempo of the game and dictating Celtics Celtics play but also the three of them sat in a straight line with Tom Rogic and behind them and none of them clearly none of them were earmarked or instructed to, to keep their eye on Rogic or going or going man mark him or, or engage him. When when, when Rangers knew or everybody in the stadium knew that Tom Rogic was going to play as a as a number ten just off Musa Dembele. And that was most clearly seen on the first goal where yeah. Dorans allows him to run off him. Now that's basic schoolboy stuff, so Dorans has to be culpable for that. But at the same time, that's not Doran's game, is it? No, it's not. You're not going to put Dorans in there and say Track runners because yeah. th- that's not what he naturally does well. He's a, he's a more of a number ten, more of a creative player. He can play in the middle as well. So again, you sort of say to yourself, well, why is Murty surprised that that, that Doran's game isn't really no. about tracking runners? Especially a player like Tom Rogic, who's clever, yeah. and he'll drift into space. And I thought Celtic did that throughout that first half, as the boys went wide um, in the Celtic's uh, midfield and, and stretched the game, yeah. which made the Rangers' midfield look even more ineffective because there was huge gaps between them. Yeah, but there was, there was this. No, it was bizarre that that Graham Murty looked to have de- almost deployed Daniel Candias to be the one to go and press. Scott Brown I mean and all Celtic did or all Scott Brown did knowing that that Candias was coming in field to try and put a bit of pressure on him he was just knocking it out to Kieran Tierney 
the, for the entire first half. Candias is then doing shuttle runs between Brown and Tierney, which culminated in Candias's ridiculous attempt at a, at a tackle, which led to the second goal when Tierney skips past him and gets the ball into the box, and then uh, Russell Martin makes a makes a pig's ear of it. Well, um, we, we've talked about the the, the defence there a little bit, but I think uh, the midfield a little bit. But I think we should move on to the defence now and discuss just just yeah. the mid, just in the midfield. I think it's. We talk about Scott Brown, and we've said this before on here, and it defies belief, really, that no one in the week building up to this game has identified Scott Brown as the guy that's going to make Celtic tick. I mean, I don't know how many old firm games need to go need to go past before somebody realises at Rangers that they have to deploy somebody on Brown to stop him playing. I mean... Am I missing something? These old firm. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think that there somebody might... has to somebody has to sit on Scott Brown and stop him playing. I agree. Make I... him go. Make him go deeper. No, if Scott Brown goes when Scott Brown's put under pressure, he naturally goes deeper. He drops in between the two centre halves because he wants space. He wants to go on the ball at all times. If he drops back in between the centre halves. That puts the onus on a Boyata or an Ayer to come out and play, and they can't. No, that's where you'll get your you'll get your joy from. When the Rangers team came out on Sunday, people on the outside looked at it and thought, right, okay, he's going to have Greg Doherty and Andy Halliday as sitting midfielders, protecting the back four and picking up your Rogic or, or Callum McGregor or whoever, and he's going to push Graham Dorans on to a more natural attacking midfielder position, but also get him to you know, cling on to, to Brown and put him in and Hasso and Harry and put put him under pressure. And that was so far away from what actually happened, it was it was untrue. Yeah, I mean there was one stage in the game, maybe twenty minutes into the the first half, where Rangers pressed as a as a team. Yeah. And they did it for about a minute and a half. And it was effective that Celtic lost the ball, yeah. Rangers won it in a high area. But there was no sense of urgency or uh, organised press about Rangers. Now we know, we've seen it from the Scottish Cup final all the way through this season at Tynecastle when Celtic were stuffed 4-0 by Hearts. They do not cope well with a high press. Yeah. All these passing teams like Man City, Celtic, yeah. they do not like it up them. They do not like to be hemmed in. Now yes, they're still dangerous because if they get a ball over the top, of they're course. struggling. But that is the way you beat them. And I just could not believe, especially when for two minutes it worked, yep. um, that Rangers didn't employ that strategy. Now, Marty was asked about this in the in the press hall that I attended after the game, and he said, you know, this was that was the plan. Yeah. And the players didn't execute it. Yeah. Which which tells you if that if that is the case, then I mean that's that's probably the most alarming thing of all. And really, let's be honest, that then is the end for Graham Murty, because if he has worked all week on, as you say, a high-pressing, high-tempo, you know, putting pressure on Celtic high up the park, and his players have been out deliberately and you know, just defied those instructions, then Graham Murty's finished at Rangers because the players have decided we're not even going to do what this guy asks us to do. I must admit, I'd be surprised if that was it. I mean, that Rangers team, to me, looked like a team that had been set out, you know, Murty or the coaching staff had looked at the last game at Ibrox and thought, right, okay, we got a bit of joy by going for their throats, but ultimately, ultimately we lost the game and get beat by ten men. 
This game at Hamden, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to try and be solid. We're going to try and be rigid. As you say, we're going to try and close out the, the midfield and stop them playing. And then we'll try and hit in the, the counter-attack. And as I say, it, it, it went disastrously wrong. To be fair to Murty, part of it is, of course, Celtic's tactical fluidity and their ability on the yeah. ball. I mean, as you say, at Ibrox, you look at that game in isolation and you say... Well, Rangers had terrific joy out wide. They, they did really well out there, but they lost the battle in central midfield. So ultimately, if you shore up the central midfield and yeah. try and keep the elements of what, what, what worked, then that, that leads you to victory. But actually, Celtic are a bit cleverer than that as a team. Yeah. And when they saw that Rangers were <coughs> now going towards the centre, they started to stretch the game out wide. They can, do, they can play in so many different ways. They switch effortlessly from 4-3-3 Four five one, uh, three five two. They, they they're just very very intelligent in the way they, they play the game. They pose teams so many problems. So I kind of sympathise with Graham Murray in that sense, in that he's set up this team as a reaction, but Celtic have just got the answer to these problems. Yeah, I think Johnny. I mean, it, it might not have worked right. It might not have changed the outcome of the game. But I'm sure, I says to you, certainly said to others before the game. I thought Rangers had to go with a 3-5-2 uh, on Sunday. I think they had to do something different. I would have agreed with Graham Murty that after nine old firm games, I mean, I heard people uh, at the weekend saying, why why change it after the, the Ibrox game? Well, they lost to 10 men. So, I mean, it wasn't that great a performance if you, if you, lose, a game to, if you lose a game to 10 men. As I say, nine games against Celtic without a win. Something had to change. We've spoke about the need for a three in midfield. I agree with that. We've spoke about the lack of pace at the back <clears throat> when you've got Alves and Russell Martin together. I thought it was crying out for a, a three-five-two. Now, you would have had to have sacrificed Daniel Kandias. And I know people have been uh, raving about Kandias this season. I think he's been OK. I think he's, some of his performances have been, have been overrated. He certainly never, for me excelled in the the big games against Celtic so I would have sacrificed him Josh Windass was being sacrificed anyway by, by being on the bench I would have started Ross McCrory at the back but in a three as, a, as the spare man he offered cover for Alves and Martins and pace, pace right um, also I think McCrory has the ability to step forward no, and play in front of Alves and Martin when required, and I mean that in terms of going and engaging Rogic. You no, know, at times when when he got on the ball in the in the hole. Obviously, your two wing backs, your three in midfield, and then Jamie Murphy. I think has been Rangers' best player in the last few months. I would have played him off Morelos, um, and that also gives you the flexibility of. Basically, just flooding that midfield because Murphy yeah, can step back of course, in. Yeah, of course. I think it was. I, I I think that was the way to go mm-hmm. for Rangers, and I still think that now after after watching the game. Um, we, sh- we, we should touch on the defence, Scott. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, sitting in there on the hand and stand for the game, Dembele. The only word for it is he, he bullied and he ragdolled yep. those two centre halves. Now, Russell Martin. The one thing we've said consistently over and over again, I'm going to say it again just to be dull and boring, but it, it's worth repeating. Um, 
he's not a physically imposing centre half. He's a right back that's been converted because he didn't have the the energy and the engine that he once had after a series of injuries. I read a Norwich fan talking about it on the internet yesterday, and he's also prone to mistakes. He's prone to mistakes, of course. And we saw that at the second yeah. goal. Uh, but McCrory's not a big unit either. He's no. what five foot eleven, six. He's six foot if he's if he's yeah. uh, you know if he's anything. Um, so you were crying out for a physical presence in there because Dembele was just bullying them. Yeah. It was so obvious from the early First stages in the, in, yeah. of the game that Alves had, was was a, the obvious option to bring on, and and he didn't do it. Um, and he chose to to substitute Andy Halliday. You've got pretty strong feelings about that. Yeah, I just think. <laughs> Andy Halliday is going to be made the, the scapegoat um, and listen I don't blame Graham Murty for a lot of things um, because he didn't ask for the job, he didn't apply for the job, he was asked to get into this role, um, he's no, he's been a, he's a youth coach, it's been elevated into, into Rangers first team, but we've been over all that before, I wouldn't blame him for a lot of stuff and the tactics and decisions and that He's a he's a young, inexperienced manager. No, those things are going to happen. Where I do blame Graham Murty, as I thought, his treatment of, of Andy Halliday on Sunday was was really poor. I thought it was uh, I thought it was naive and selfish, essentially from from Murty, because I think no, he put his faith in Andy Halliday from the beginning in that three man midfield, and I think. The performance was so bad just before half time. I don't think Graham Murty at that moment was thinking about the team or tactics or how he was going to. I think <clears throat> it certainly looked for the outside that like he thought, I have to do something here. I have to do something in terms of my own perception, my own image as a manager. I have to be seen almost Dick Advocate esque, if you like by doing something before half-time. Because, listen, we all know, in any game of football, making a substitute before half-time is, is radical. I think he picked an easy target in Halliday. No, the, the local boy, the, the Rangers fan who hadn't been in the team, who is an easy target, I think, for supporters as well. Um, and I think four minutes before half-time, he could have easily waited. If he wanted to make that change, he could have easily waited till half-time. Instead, he chose to... He must have knew how humiliating that would be for Andy, Andy Halliday. I mean, two minutes the later, as I say, name. Celtic fans singing his name and, and Halliday's got to sit on the bench and listen to that. It was... I thought it was a disgrace, really, taking, taking Halliday off. And the, the point I wanted to make, or what I said to you earlier, was... I mean, Graham Murty watching that first 40 minutes or so, if there was any change to make, it should have been to replace one of the centre-backs who were having an absolute nightmare against Dembele, as you say, for the first five or ten minutes. They were being, uh, well, you've said it, I mean, completely bullied by by the big centre-forward. And, I mean, in terms of, it's worth mentioning in terms of Ross McCrory, we thought it would be too harsh on, on the boy, but no, it wasn't a. He wasn't up against a twenty-eight-year-old experienced centre back. Dembele's the same age, or roughly the same age as as McCrory, and he would get absolutely annihilated along with along with Russell Martin. Just, and, just and, and, I'm sorry, yeah. Bruno Alves. No, you say what you like about him this season. We've spoken about it before. He hasn't performed particularly well this season. The move in terms of him being the leader and all that hasn't worked out. 
But my God, you've got a Euro 2016 winner, a guy who's probably going to the World Cup with all his experience, and you decide to start Russell Martin and Ross McCrory, a young boy who's been five months out coming back for injury. To start those two ahead of Alves was just ridiculous. Okay, so two points on that, and we'll come back to Alves in a, in a moment. But with regards to Halliday, if he'd taken off Halliday um, and... Uh, instead of bringing on Windass, had brought on Alves and then pushed McCrory into defensive midfield, would you have had less of a problem with it? Was it the specific player-for-player swap? I think it was just the, it was the timing of it and, and the, you know, the the consequences that that would have for, for Halliday. I mean, we've seen, the, as we spoke about earlier, the fan approaching the bench. You know? I mean, that... That was all caused by Murty bringing him off four minutes before. It, Johnny, it didn't... Is it the four minutes? Though, so if it's, if it's, a ha- if it's a 30 minutes, it's like him saying, Me, it's my fault, you know, I've made the error. It was Because for me, yeah. I look at it and think, he had to, he did have to do something. Yeah. He should have done something earlier. Maybe, maybe doing it earlier would have would have had less of an impact. But but four minutes before half time... It felt I mean, like a statement, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course. It, what's, what's going to change tactically in the space of four minutes? I mean, Josh Windass isn't going to go and, and change the game within, within four minutes. So... Graham Murty should have, should have either swapped like for like centre halves because the two of them, as I say, you know, physically were being you know, out muscled, outplayed by Dembele and to a lesser extent Rogic when you think of the, the first goal with, with Rogic and McCrory. Get Alves on for a bit of leadership, a bit of experience, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. If there was any change to be made before half time, it was that one. If you want to make tactical changes to go to a four two, three one and or whatever, do it at half time. Wait the four minutes, get the players and explain exactly what you're going to do for the second half and and have a word with Andy Halliday and leave him in there at half time. Conversely Instead, though, Scott, if, it, if if Celtic score another one, then people will say, well, why didn't you make a decision? Why didn't you make a change? Because the game's over at half time at that point. And, it, and the game was getting away the from game, them. The game was over at 2 0. I mean, let, let's, let's be honest about it. I mean, it was 2 0 going on. Get on four or five, and it was it wasn't just like the performance, you know that that Celtic were were outplaying them and were, were just by far the better team. As you touched on earlier, you're looking at the Rangers players; they didn't know what they were doing. I mean, the, the Rangers they were all over the place. The, the game was finished at two 0 He still got them in at half time. As I say, obviously he had to make changes, he had to re- rejig it. I've got no problem with him at half time taking one of the midfielders off for Windass. And going to the four two three one, doing that and getting Alves on should have been the two changes at, at half time. That, that's the way I see it. In terms of Bruno Alves, I thought that he was the one Rangers player that did show a little bit of leadership. You know, he was the one that was getting in between Andy Halliday and putting him down when he was involved in the altercation, yep. whoever it was with. You know, Bruno was there, and where you would expect. Uh, Jimmy Nicholl to be quite frankly yep. or Jonathan and Johansson you would yep. expect them to be in there but it was Bruno Alves that was doing it Bruno Alves at the end of the game was the guy that was pulling Morelos away um, he was the one that came on got himself up for a couple of headers yeah, he's also the one when, when Kandias came off he had a word with Kandias coming off as well he could see that Kandias was raging and, and had a quiet word in his ear just as they were uh, just as he was coming off the pitch Is there a sense Scott that there's maybe been a bit of a false narrative created around Bruno Alves. No, I, th- I don't. I don't go back on what, what we said a couple of weeks ago that the Bruno Alves move 
hasn't worked out, and I don't see I don't see him being there next season, and and I don't think many Rangers fans would have a, a problem with that. He was signed by another manager to come in and be his leader in the dressing room, be an ambassador for the club, be that commanding centre back. We've, we've said it before, and I can amoroso like like manner. For a number of reasons, it hasn't worked out. Whether it be injury, no suspension, Pedro Cachinha getting the getting the getting the sack, it hasn't worked out. But I don't think you can no label a lot of the of what's went wrong at Rangers this season on Bruno Alves. I mean, I don't think he's had too many games where you thought, my God, Alves was terrible there. I don't think there's been too many games. I mean, look at the Russell Martin's part in the second goal. On Sunday, I don't think Bruno Alves has ever had a had an error like that that's led directly to a goal, especially in a in a big game like that. And I go back to it to go and start Russell Martin, uh, a guy, and it's not. Listen, Russell Martin's a a good guy, a consummate professional. We've said all this before, but we watched him for the last couple of years playing for Scotland in a defence that shipped goals. We've watched them in the Premier League uh, for Norwich in a team that, that was shitting goals. He's prone to errors. He's been here three months. He's given away three penalties and now gifted a goal in the in the old firm. We are a, a clear... It's not just penalties. There's been other mistakes as yeah. well. He's, he's been responsible primarily for at least five goals. Yeah, but... And again, it probably, as much as I'm saying I don't blame Graham Murty for too much, you have to blame him for that because, let's be honest... Russell Martin starting ahead of Bruno Alves because he's a Graham Murty signing. They know each other for Norwich. Alves is a Cachinha, a Cachinha by uh, Ross McCrory starting because Graham Murty's worked with Ross McCrory in the in the under twenties for a for a couple of years. Clearly, clearly rates uh, rates the boy highly. But I go back to it. it it's it, it's ridiculous to me that a guy Alves' experience. In a game like that, when he's fully fit, um, with all his experience, the fact that he's still performing at a high level, international level, for him to be on the bench when Martin and McCrory are starting, just uh, it defies belief, really, in that. Um, and I think it showed it showed on Sunday. J- just in terms of McCrory, I said you know, some months ago, and I argued with folk on social media and stuff, that he wouldn't be a centre-half or a future Rangers centre-half. And clearly, after watching his performance on Sunday, I stick by that. I don't think he's tall enough. I don't think he's physical enough to be a centre-back. If he's going to have a future in the Rangers team, it'll be as a sitting midfielder. And, by the way, even as a sitting midfielder, he's going to need to come on leaps and bounds. He's going to need to improve his game because he's never... I don't think he's got it in him to be a Scott Brown type, for instance, who's going to go and dictate the play. I don't think... No, I might be being harsh. I don't think he's going in his locker to go and ping passes about. You wouldn't have thought that Scott Brown at his age, though, to be fair. No, you, no, you wouldn't, so have, you it, wouldn't it, have. That can develop. Two totally different players at, at a young age. But certainly, it, if, if Ross McCrory's going to have a future, and you need to say, well, look, he should have a future at Rangers. He's, no, he's got enough about him to be... But Ibrox for a long time, but it's got, it's not going to be as a centre half. It's difficult to to say this because uh, players have different physiologic physiological um, strengths and weaknesses, and 
uh, at that age, you can't necessarily go and say to someone, oh, you need to go and bulk up because it might be part of their growth spurt and the sports science and all that will I'll get on top of that. But I think Ross McCrory probably needs to look at someone like David Bates, who has built himself into a tank. Yeah. That's what Ross McCrory needs to do because he doesn't have that height to allow him, so he needs to have the physicality. Yeah. And um, you just saw in terms of the width of Dembele, and Dembele's still really quick, yeah. but he just has that, that physical presence that you know that if you bounce off him, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to feel it. Whereas yeah. Ross McCrory, for me, is still a bit spindly. It might just be his age. Yeah. He might develop into his body more. But even aside for that, John, in terms of them going up against Dembele, I mean, neither of them could live with his movement on Sunday. I mean, it was the first, was it first two minutes, first three minutes, when Insham puts a cross in and Dembele gets in between both of them. And I honestly watch it again on the TV. Both of them start talking to each other. McCrory saying, oh, I thought you had him. Martin's saying, no, 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 when he's behind me, you've got... They didn't have a clue where Dembele yeah. was. And that, I go back to the... As I say, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying it's... It would have been the answer. I'm not saying it would have changed the result. But, no, my limited kind of, no, tactical now, so if you like, playing a back three, if Dembele's movement takes him down the right-hand side, Martin should have him. If he goes down the left-hand side, Alves should have him. With McCrory's quick thinking, bit of pace, effectively picking up the, the scraps, if anything goes wrong. I think that's I think Rangers had to set up in that way and by going with the two centre backs, certainly the two that he picked, and also you have to say Dembele's sensational performance because no Dembele could have had a, a mediocre game and, and they could have handled him a lot better, but but he was Dembele was on it. The truth the truth is, Dembele is on a different planet from the rest of Scottish football strikers. He's too good for Scottish football. That's yeah. that's the truth of it, and he's he knows it himself. That's why he only really switches it on in the big games. Big games, yeah. Um, but and it's also why Brendan Rodgers turns to him for big games. Yeah, I mean we all. You hear people Sc- saying Scotland Griffiths, fans, but ludicrous. We, yeah, but Scotland fans, we all we all love Lee Griffiths and what, what he brings, and no, and he, he is a Lee Griffiths as a top striker, and I think he's improved so much in the last couple of years. But you're right; it's telling that in the big games. Even at times when Dembele's been off for him or not fully fit, Rogers still goes to him for the for the big games because he knows he knows what he brings. I mean, he, he single handedly single handedly destroyed that Rangers defence on Sunday. They just couldn't couldn't love him. We need to go from one striker to another because you can't not talk about Alfredo Morelos and his serious propensity for missing big chances in the biggest games. Yeah. I think we're getting to a stage now, Scott, where he was a player that you were thinking, this guy should move on in the summer for his, his, his career betterment. He looks like he's got everything that he needs to, to move up move up a level. I just I just can't see him getting a game in a, in a premiership club at the moment with his, his finishing the way it is. It's nowhere near yeah, sharp English, enough. English Premier League, aye, you mean? Aye, aye. aye. Nah, he's, um, no, he's no good enough yet for that, um, for that level. But, I mean, listen, he's still only 21. Um and I think overall, all right, 16, I heard someone saying at the weekend, 16 goals, well, any striker on the Rangers team should be getting 16 goals. I still think for a young guy coming in for Finnish football, young Colombian, it's not a bad return. And I think he's got a bit about his game. We've, we've spoken about it before. I think he can, when he's on it, he can play that lone striker role 
pretty well. I think he upsets defenders. I think even in the even in the first half on Sunday, which was deplorable for a Rangers point of view, there was a couple of times he tried to put pressure on Ayer and Boyata and almost got a wee bit of, a wee bit of joy out of it. So he does have attributes, um, but no, no, nowhere near. English Premier League level as yet. What I'm driving at, Scott, is that it seems to be a fait accompli amongst uh, our colleagues and, and, and fans that I talk to that he's away in the summer. I think the best thing for this lad would be to stick around and develop his game because he's not. I don't think he's ready for that big move. No, I think he's, he needs to have another couple of seasons. No, I mean, to be honest to me, he's, whether you believe it or not, Rangers obviously put it out there, they knock back some big bids for him and then, not only that, they then go and get him to sign an, an extension to his, his contract so I would expect him to be there mm. next season as you say I don't see I don't think there would be that many no listen you might get interest for China or Qatar or you know, places like that but in terms of proper big guns coming in for Morelos no I don't I don't see it um, so I, I do expect him to be there next season in, in terms of the you know, the big game misses no, there has been big sitters now against Celtic. And normally with strikers, no, I hear people at times going and saying, Oh, it's a mental thing and all that. And normally I kinda brush that off and say, Listen, that's nonsense, no, doesn't it? Shouldn't affect you mentally. For the first time in a long time, no, when I looked at Morelos missing the chance that came off the bar mm. on Sunday, that was a, a mentality thing. And I'll tell you the reason why. If it comes off the bat, he should have had it first time. Any striker worth their salt would have hit that first time. But as that ball comes off the bar, it looks like, in the blink of an eye, a split second, no flashbacks, his misses against Celtic are going through his mind. And that's why he decides to take one, maybe even two touches, I think, before he has a shot. That's a guy who... No, in games like that, there's a there's clearly a mental block because of previous misses because he should have just hit that naturally first time. He didn't. He had to think about it. He wanted to get the ball sitting perfect before he before he finished it. And even then, he couldn't get it above uh, couldn't get it above Craig Gordon. It was odd that spell, though, wasn't it? That Rangers for ten minutes with ten men caused Celtic problems. Yeah, and they just looked a bit more at it. For, for that wee spell, Johnny, it's, it's easy to play. It's easy to play when you're three 0 Pressure's down. off. When they get the games, games done. At three 0 down, no, you know punters are leaving the stadium. You know what's coming after the game. You know the game's gone. It's it's easy, and, and I actually think that that's what slightly no can I make you laugh about the no without what I make light of it. We're talking at the at the top of this about the. No, getting off the pitch, players arguing with each other and fighting in the dressing room and all that. I mean, where where was that fight, passion, desire during the game? <laughs> there was none. I mean, Graham Murphy admitted himself there was no tackle made until thirty minutes had, had passed. I don't get that. Uh, I mean, a big thing was made in January about Rangers getting more Rangers fans into the into the team. And you look through that team now, Doherty, Dorans, Halliday, Murphy, McCrory, there's a good few in there now, and, and yet they still manage to produce such a tame, 
no insipid pass passive Meek. performance like that. No, aye. Well, what's, we, Scott, we, what's it the worst performance you've seen in our old firm game by one of the other teams? It's in, in the history of the fixture. It's certainly up there. And the six-two game, maybe. In, in my lifetime, that there must have been there must have been others as as bad. I was as thinking that. the six-two game at Parkhead when Larson scored. Yeah, the, that the was famous a big goal. One. The four-two one I, I spoke about. There was a. I mean, Rangers went through a hellish old firm run under Alec McLeish. Yeah. Um, a long, winless run. Uh, no guys like off the top of my head. That, that's when the guys like Hamed Namuchi and that and the team they were really, really struggling. There was some there was some shocking performances uh, for Rangers and Old Firm games during that during that time when they were really, really toiling. However, on Sunday it did remind me of the the Kashinya performance for, for last year in the in the semi final. Just so passive, no aggression. No desire, no passion. Couldn't lay a glove on Celtic. Um, it was it was really poor. And Rangers fans, no, you mentioned their their anger and that. After I think they would have sat at that game on Sunday, feeling feeling as low as they've done in a long time. And considering where Rangers have been in the last kind of no six seven years, that's that's saying something. I mean, a start that came up. You'll have seen it on Twitter. I mean, that's four semi-finals. Rangers have had in two years and no scored a goal. I think the other stat that was uh, very telling was that Celtic have now scored in the last two years more goals against Rangers in the league than anyone else. Oh, actually, it might not be just the league. It might be just generally yeah. more goals than anyone else. Um, so it does seem like Celtic are quite clearly, obviously, raising their game, as you would expect. But also Rangers just aren't aren't matching that, yeah. that intensity. Um, in terms of where Rangers go from here, Scott, um, I think a lot of fans are calling from, for Graham Murty to be replaced, even if it's with Jimmy Nicol until the end of the season. Can you see that happening? I don't. No, I uh, spoke to a couple of people and well, their belief is that, that Graham Murty will definitely be here at the end of the season and I tend to, tend to agree with that. Mm. Uh, listen, I think his time as manager is up. Sunday was the the defining moment. No, he, he won't be the manager next season. Uh, I mean, can you imagine trying to sell a sell a season ticket on the back of on the back of that? That won't happen. Big question marks. Does he go back to under twenties manager? Is there another role at Ibrooks higher up? Does he go into the new manager's backroom team? Who knows? But I don't think he'll fancy it. I think he'll. I think he himself will want to say, right, I've. I've done this now. I don't want to go back to that. Yeah, every chance. Yep, every um, chance. I mean, you, you, um, you, you could never write anything off, but I just get the sense he'll probably want to take take stock and then maybe think about going into management. Yeah. The, the reason I also think that Scott is because they've replaced his position essentially. Yeah. Within the framework of the club, it seems like there's a sense that they'd, they'd be moving on here. Yeah, I wonder maybe. if maybe there's been an agreement made on that. Listen, I, th- I think I think they would leave that. Open for Murty. I mean, I think they at least owe him that to say to him, "Listen, your job's still there." I know other guys have stepped into that role in his mm. his absence, but I expect them to say, "Listen, thanks, Graham." And and by the way, so they should because as we touched on before, he didn't ask for the job, he didn't apply for the job. He's a youth coach 
um, who was asked to do them a favour, basically, and get them out, get them out a hole, and also save them a bit of cash. Let, let's be honest about it. It was an easy option for the for the board when when Kashinia left after failing to get uh, the the number one target in in McInnes. So they own that. They own to say, listen, thanks, but we're going to look elsewhere. Either your under twenties job still there if you want it, or we can maybe look at. No, whoever the new man is, we can maybe look at integrating you in some way into the into the backroom team. But he certainly, there's no way he can be manager at the start of this at the start of next season. And listen, Graham Murty will be fully aware of that as well. Um, in terms of bringing somebody in just now, no, leaving Graham, leaving Jimmy Nicol in charge, is that going to make a huge difference? I'm not so sure. Um, after Sunday, there would have been an argument to say, you know what, Graham, we're going to make a wee change. We want you to step back down and say to Kenny Miller, no, oh, can you take? I don't think last... that's going to happen now. Exactly. <laughs> can you take the last five games? Him, no. Ironically, if you were going to say to MD in the, the dressing room, which let's be honest, in other places it's happened. It quite often happens. Actually, there's only a few games to go. They'll say to a senior player or a couple of senior players to take the to take the team. Ironically, Miller and Wallace would have been the two that you'd have turned to. But the board have have nailed their colours to the mast on that one by taking uh, Graham Murty's side on this uh, by going and suspending Miller and and Wallace, which again. Seems slightly bizarre if they're going to get rid of Graham Murty anyway at the start of the season or, or take him out of the, the manager's role. So it's as you say, it's the it's the the big question. Where do they go? Where do they go next? And it's so difficult. I mean, I've thought about it since Sunday about where they go for a manager, and it is really really difficult to know what road Rangers go down because of the situation that the club finds itself in so far behind Celtic, wanting to have a long-term plan and strategy and and put building blocks in place, but at the same time knowing that fans are now baying for blood and also in every Rangers fan's eyes it's imperative that, that they stop Celtic winning 10 in a row and... If that's your priority, then it's a. It has to ultimately. It has to be a short, a short term, uh, a short term thing in terms of who you go and who you go and get. Nobody knows in football. This is the thing of football management as well. I mean, remember the reaction to uh, Wim Jansen when he came in at Celtic. Nobody thought that he would be the man to stop yeah. ten in a row. Uh, you just never know with these managerial appointments, uh, but it just doesn't seem like there's any clear obvious candidate out there that there would that would fit the bill. There isn't. Um first of all what I would say is and we've not mentioned Mark Allen much in mm. this No any director of football worth or salt down in England or abroad has to react pretty much instantly when a manager's sacked. Um managers we know the championship Premier League in England no, managers can go in a morning and the director of football has to have a new guy in place the next day. That's the way it works. That's the director of football's role. Now, we spoke at length about when Kashinia got the bullet, about Mark Allen having a list of candidates. He claims he did have a list of candidates ready to go. 
but the board opted to go for Derek McInnes and then ultimately uh, Graham Murty. But what I'd say about Mark Allen now is Graham Murty's had this job for nearly nearly nine months now, and Mark Allen's known that Graham Murty's contract as manager was only until the end of the season. He should have a manager in place for Rangers ready to go now. In, in my opinion, but he maybe does. This is the problem, isn't it? We don't because there's no sense of well, Mark so, so, Allen being available to. But if, but if he's got a manager in place now, if you're Dave King or Stuart Robertson, whoever, would you know be wanting to announce it now? We're talking about season ticket renewals. It's a four 0 defeat to Celtic. There's five post split games to go. If there's a new manager in place, Johnny. <laughs> Believe me, there'll be a statement flying out of Ibrox on, on Monday morning saying, don't worry everybody, we've got a new manager in place. But the same way as they did with Advocate when he came in. Yeah. Uh, the problem with Rangers though, isn't it, that there's too many chiefs, there's too many uh, um, there's too many chefs basically spoil. I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors here. <laughs> <laughs> too many chefs spoiling the pot or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, there's, there's too many guys who are who have got their own agendas about what they want. Mark Allen will have his agenda about what he wants. Stuart Robinson, Robertson might have an, a, an agenda about what he wants. Dave yeah, King will no, have a different no, agenda. No, no leadership whatsoever. Where's the guy who makes yeah. the final decision? Yeah. And to me, I think it, it's about empowering the people that you that work for you. Give Mark Allen the empowerment to go and select the new manager. Yeah. If the, if he gets it wrong, then it's on Mark Allen. But at the problem at the moment. It's such a desperate situation that I don't think anybody really trusts anybody else to make that kind of decision. No, is that, is that fair? I don't believe. Yeah, it's fair. But I, I, I don't believe Mark Allen might have another list of, of candidates. Might be the same list that he had, you no, know, after Kashinia. But th- th- there is no manager lined up. I don't care what anybody says. I don't. I don't believe for a minute Mark Allen's got a new manager lined up. My fear for Rangers would be that. Graham Murty is in charge until the end of the season. At that point, the board come out and say, uh, listen, we want to thank Graham Murty for all his efforts, but we've decided to go down a different route. And on Monday morning, the search begins for a new manager. Well, I'm sorry, but if that happens, it's unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. Because we'll then have this, no, this uh, farce going on for weeks and months that we did post Kashinia. And, and let me tell you, you're sacrificing the European qualifiers exactly. at that stage. That's that's the, an awful This is you cannot bring in a Frank even a some even a name of the quality of a Frank de Boer. And they need to get used to the squad. They need to understand what Windass can do, what he can't do. They need to see that with their own eyes. Yeah. And these qualifiers, they're right at the start of the, it's like the first pre season yeah, games. Yeah. We saw that last year. But, I mean a team like Progress so let, let's be honest, right? In terms of getting a new manager in, who, who are the no, who are the candidates, right? You mentioned Frank De Boer. Forget it. Just forget it. Somebody of that stature uh isn't going to be interested in the Rangers job. I'm convinced of that. Uh, there's the financial side of it as well. After the Kashinia disaster, I think if you asked any Rangers fan or even within the, the board no, such was the damage that the Kashinia uh, appointment caused. Going down the foreign route, I don't think it'll be on the cards. So because they simply cannot, cannot risk another Kashinia, another foreign disaster. And you mentioned Wim Jansen. You're right. Nobody knows. 
he could go and get a, a foreign guy that nobody's ever heard of, a la Kishina, and he might just have the have the beating of Brendan Rodgers. We'll never know. But it's such a huge gamble at this moment in time that I believe they'll they'll discard the foreign uh, the foreign option. So you're left with British candidates who's out there in a perfect world. In a perfect world, you go and make a play for Sean Dyche, for instance. No, maybe going to be manager of the year in England. But in ordinary circumstances, Rangers should be able to go to Burnley and get their manager. Can't happen. No, just can't happen. Other the, budget, even even every aspect of that club's budget, yeah. from sports science to the playing yeah, side, will be right. massive in comparison with Rangers. In terms of English managers, so you rule out the Premier League, hardly any English managers in the Premier League, rule out the Premier League managers, even go and get a championship manager, you could be looking at huge compensation. You could go and get a guy from left field who's maybe flying in League One, no, like, like Shrewsbury or something like Carl, like Ro- Talk- Carl Robinson was yeah. they talked about Carl Robinson at the time what about a, a guy who's more experienced so look, like, a, like a Pardew maybe for instance but again <coughs> it's just not the answer Johnny so you're then left with the managers the Scottish managers who are doing really well at the moment I think are Steve Clark and Alec Neil are the two guys that are really excelling, punching above their weight, no, at the levels they're at. Steve Clark at Kilmarnock and Alec Neil at Preston. Two of them have done remarkable jobs. Does Steve Clark want the Rangers job? The noises that seem to be coming out seem to suggest he's quite happy. Seem to be, but you would be. We've spoke about it before. You're not doing your job properly if you don't go and ask him. Um, given the job that he's done, he given, fit, given that he's on your doorstep, he fits the profile as well in terms of working with Mark Allen. He was yeah. a head coach at West Brom. Yeah, he's not he's not a guy that's going to be turning his nose up at the thought of not having full control over everything. He's a training no. ground coach. No, but but the problem we go back to it. The problem is, no, would Steve Clark want it? He might actually want it, but does he do a Derek McInnes? And this goes for any manager, a Frank De Boer, an Alan Pardew, whoever. If they go and look under the bonnet and don't like what they see, they'll not take the job. I mean, Derek, Derek McInnes was a lifelong Rangers fan who looked under the bonnet and still decided it's no for me. If you go and get guys who, who actually don't have any affiliation to Rangers, like an Alec Neal or a Steve Clark, when they look behind the scenes, no, if they get the same thoughts, the same vibes as Derek McInnes, they're not going to take it either. So... <laughs> Alec Neil, Steve Clark, I would go and ask the question, let them have a look, let them you know, explain to them what the what the vision is, if if there is one. Those are two that spring to mind. Um you could do some sort of and it would require a lot of jiggery pokery and persuasion, but some sort of planned ascension to the role with something like Walter Smith and Jack Ross. Yeah. Coming back, for, Walter Smith coming back for a year to... It's interesting that those two were the next two names that I was going to mention, right? Because when you've exhausted all these avenues, as I have done just there, what are you, what are you left with? Who can you afford? Who's in your door? Who's going to take, take the job? You're almost left, I think, and I'm going to mention three names here, I think you're almost left with 
the young up and coming manager of Scottish football who has been successful, hugely successful in his first two jobs at a lower level. He's young, he's hungry, he's ambitious, but he's only managed at that level. He's not even been in the Premiership yet as a manager, and that's Jack Ross. Do you take a chance with that? No, it's a gamble. It's a gamble. It's it's like a Cushinia, but at least with Jack Ross, he knows the landscape, he knows the environment, he knows the, the club, if you like, he knows the way Scottish football works. So do you take a gamble with that? Or do you flip it? go to the opposite end of the, the age scale, if you like, and I, there's part of me can't believe I'm saying this, but do you go back to Walter Smith and say, listen, dig us out a hole again for the for the third time? And, and Ali McCoy said it in that interview, didn't he? He said, dial W for Walter. That's right. <laughs> uh, and it does seem ridiculous, and that's nothing against Walter, but I almost, as I say, I almost can't believe um, I'm saying it. However... Walter Smith was interested in the Scotland job. Now, I know the Scotland job's totally different because it's effectively part-time. Rangers' job would be throwing himself into the fire again at his age um, after a good few years out of the game. I genuinely don't know if he would even talk to Rangers or even be interested. I don't know. All I'm saying is, if you exhaust all the avenues that Rangers can take in terms of finance, who they could get, who'd be interested, who would look behind the scenes and, and feel they didn't need to take it like a, like a Steve Clark, You've got a Jack Ross at one end of the scale or a Walter Smith at the other guy's near doorstep. And the other guy, who no doubt would cause a bit of reaction, is Billy Davis. Right? Now... Months ago, before Cushinia was even a point after Mark Warburton, I was shot down for, for suggesting Billy Davis, right? I'm not going to deny Billy Davis has had his issues. People on the outside, whether it's down to perception or reality or whatever, people on the outside see Billy Davis as a guy with baggage. No, he's been out. He's been out of the he's been out of the game for, for three years or, or whatever it is. However, for, for what Rangers are looking for in terms of his C V, his experience, what he's achieved at a high level, i.e. top end of the championship. No, Rangers couldn't go and get a uh, couldn't go and get a Nuno Espirito Santo oh. for Wolves or they couldn't go and no, they would struggle to go and get a uh, Jokanovic from, from Fulham, Fulham at yeah. the top end of the, the championship because of money and everything else that goes with it. Whether you like him or not, Billy Davis has operated and been successful at that level. He knows Rangers. He's a Rangers fan. He's been back up the road living here for the last few years. He knows the, the landscape. He knows everything about the club. He knows what's going on. He knows the pressures of having to stop 10 in a row. Uh, he's competed with Brendan Rodgers before in the championship and Rodgers at Swansea. He's also a nasty wee guy, isn't he? He's he got is. that streak about him. And listen, I'm, I'm not saying for definite, because I can't say for definite that there wouldn't be problems. I don't know how... Billy, I know Billy Davis as a guy. I know how passionate he is. And also know how professional he is in terms of how he would go about his business as a, or how he goes about his business as a manager. There could be clashes between him and the Rangers board. I don't know, right? But when you're exhaust when you've exhausted all these candidates, 
who are you who are you left with? And I honestly believe now, if you're ruling out the the foreign option, if you accept that you can't go and get guys like you no know, your your real big hitters, your De Boers, your Sean Dykes, whoever, you're ruling them out. I go back to it, I agree, the two that I think are worth going after or asking the question would be Alec Neal and Steve Clark. On the surface, they look gettable if you push the boat out and you convince them that there's a plan, there's a strategy, Rangers can move forward, they can compete with Celtic. You could go and get those two guys. If they were to decide they didn't want it or Rangers couldn't go and get them, who are you left with? Yeah. I think at one end of the scale, as I say, somebody, I'm not saying it has to be Jack Ross, but a young up-and-coming manager, young Scottish up-and-coming manager, like a Jack Ross, like a Robbie Nielsen yeah. is another one to throw into the, the mix. The opposite end of the scale is Walter Smith. No, the old stager, been there before, no, obviously knows what it's all about. Do you go and somehow beg or convince Walter Smith to come back and try and haul this team uh, back into some sort of respectability or I say the kind of the wild card if you like would be Billy Davis who no again it would be a it would be a gamble for obvious reasons but in terms of the actual standard of manager Rangers couldn't go and get a, Rangers can't go and get a guy who's achieved what Billy Davis has achieved but yet he's sitting on their doorstep they should at least go and talk to him. Well, food for thought there. We have definitely overran in terms of uh, the podcast today, but I suppose there's been a lot to discuss. Hope it's not been uh, too painful for the Rangers fans listening in. But that's all from us, and we'll be back next midweek with more news and analysis of all things Rangers. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can. I'm on Twitter at Johnny R. McFarlane, and Scott is at Scott McDermott 8 So if you've got any questions or queries about today's podcast, please get in touch. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes um, to get the podcast as soon as it becomes available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening.